And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossett. Fucking camera in the truck. Welcome back to Live on Four Legs Podcast, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience. And that's right, we're back. I told you we'd be back, and we're not just back, but we're back on a new day. Wednesday is going to be our new release day. I know everybody was used to the Friday release day, kind of getting into the weekend, but we're going to try this out for a little while. We're going to see how Wednesday works, and if it sticks... We're going to stick to it, uh, but I think it's going to be beneficial to everybody. It's going to give people a little bit more time during the week to listen in and not forget about it over weekend's time. So we're going to see how it works, and if it works out well, then uh, we're going to keep it. And if it doesn't, maybe we'll move back to Friday. Who knows? So, uh, yeah, this is the official relaunch of Live on Four Legs. Uh, there'll be some new things implemented. Obviously, we kind of left off last episode with Matt sort of saying see you later and, you know, taking his break from the show. Uh, he's still going to be considered a co-host, but he's not going to be uh, as consistent of a presence on this show as he used to. So we'll still we'll still see him. We'll still talk to him. We'll still tease him about Big Wave and stuff like that. That you know that ain't going away. But uh, we have other legs that we're throwing into the mix here, including our guest host today, who we'll get to in a minute. But I just wanted to address the hiatus for a second and just say, you know, uh, it's not something that was really intended. Uh, I, did, I, I wanted to go at this the whole summer. We had some summer ideas, uh, including doing some festival shows and some other things. Uh, but one of, uh, you know, we started doing an episode or I was researching an episode and I was just saying, you know what, there's just a real lot on my plate right now. And I felt like it wasn't the best time to be continuing recording episodes and, and trying to figure out in the meantime, how we were going to redo this thing and how we were going to relaunch. So it just needed, it needed a little time. It needed a little love added to it. And you know what? We're, we're back. I feel more comfortable with it now. And, uh, we're going to have a strong foundation. I think, uh, we have four official co-hosts of this show and we are going to get to, uh, one of them in a second, but, uh, 
there are going to be a lot of changes here uh, in format-wise, uh, in time-wise. I know that uh, one of the big things that everybody kind of had been saying all along was that it was just a little bit tough to get through uh, episode after episode. We, we were going three and a half hours sometimes. Uh, they're tough to listen to. And you know what? I've started to realize they're tough to edit too. So we're going to try to make it easier for everybody, and we are going to try to change our format a little bit. Um, you know, instead of going song by song, uh, we are going to change, we're going to just implement a couple little changes because, you know, sometimes we get the same songs week in, week out, and we don't really have a lot of different things to say about them. So we're going to kind of give more love to the stuff that is more important each show more historic so expect things like that to happen now instead of like the little middle stuff saying you know oh well this song given a fly was good today or this was was good on this show and that being it it uh that's you know little stuff like that won't happen as much anymore so for our first episode back we're bringing in our first co-host uh john is here it is baba who's with us uh thank you for for being a part of this and uh being a part of the team now how how does it feel being another leg into the four legs of of this podcast it's a little sore i'll I'll admit (laughs) um well you only have to use one leg if everybody puts one leg true towards full disclosure i i do have it i'm playing with a torn hamstring right now so I'm, a little, uh, I'm on the DL a little bit, but the left leg is in good oh, shape. So we're going to put that one in and see how it goes. But no, it's great. You know, thank you so much for the opportunity. I, you know, I love the show and I'm glad to be a part of it. Help out any way I can. Yeah, and look, we we know you've done a couple episodes with us before. We know what we're getting out of you, but now we get to kind of see where your wheelhouse is. And I I, I think we're going to do a lot of really good early stuff with you. That's a, sort of what I'm sensing with with our conversations and and where we're going with this. So what a uh, what are you what are you most excited for getting uh getting into the show getting into this one just oh, get that that pre no code era right before no code of course that's my favorite album um just getting getting a glimpse of them right before that era is uh something special for sure yeah it's got we're gonna talk about it so much it's got this raw energy vibe it's just kind of uh i I mean, there's a reason why people go back to it and people talk about it. And whenever the anniversary comes, people still talk about it to this day. Uh, but I sort of said beforehand, and one of the things that I want to do uh, going forward in the show is sort of do, you know, an elevator pitch. What's the headline? What's the one thing that uh, would sell you on a show? What, what's going to get the listener to keep listening in and uh so it's sort of like an all-encompassing before we we talk about the rest of the show and the the 39 29 30 songs that that precede this uh what is your elevator pitch to get people to listen to this right now the pressure was on and they delivered that's that is very short and simple that is sweet and that is uh poignant i tell you uh my pitch for this is NFL Stadium for the first and last time makes 47,000 fans feel like they are in a Seattle nightclub. I you, you hit the nail on the head for me. Yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. 
you know uh it's it is kind of strange to see that you know most bands that have their you know height of popularity especially in this day and age you know you got metallica and and bruce and and maybe uh, you know maybe more pop stars will do places like uh, gillette stadium and meadowlands and things like that but um uh, they they've avoided the NFL stadiums, and, and I I can kind of understand why. I, I'm sure it's the vibe and sort of uh, the way how baseball stadiums are more intimate, and NFL stadiums feel more big that you're playing to you know, way more people that that might not be paying attention or might not be uh, all into it. But like, what? Why do you think that they haven't returned to an NFL stadium since? I think probably because for those shows, you almost need, like, a shtick. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but this was kind of a, a Ticketmaster event. You know, they, they, they weren't playing Ticketmaster venues, so they had to go outside of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of bands, you know, like the Rolling Stones play NFL stadiums, U2 plays NFL stadiums. They have like they have a light show and a shtick and you know it's yeah. it's a performance and Pearl Jam to their credit and one of the reasons they've stuck around is that they they don't do that 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 doesn't interest them you know you're not going to get a Zeropa album out of Pearl Jam you know so I think that's that's one reason I think they haven't gone back to it yeah and it's funny that you mentioned that because we were talking before uh, before we started recording and I said how mm-hmm. uh, I I ended up seeing Third Eye Blind and. Uh, they were playing in a 5,000-seat auditorium, and they were acting as if they were in this in an NFL stadium with the light show, the theatrics. A lot the, of the, the dialogue is canned. You're getting the same. They're, they're, exactly. they're saying the same thing between every show. The set list yep. is the same every time. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of bands fall into that trap, and, and one reason, you know, Pearl Jam never did that, and that's why we're here talking about it. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. If if a 1995 show was the same as a 2018 show, we probably wouldn't have this kind of crazy fan base. We probably wouldn't have this many podcasts that are talking about them today. But um, you know, they, they're they're good at making it feel like uh, something special every time that you go see them. That that you can and make an effort to go see them twice at, at a Wrigley or a Fenway if they end up playing there twice uh, because you are going to get something completely different. So, And it's, and it's um, to Eddie's credit, too. You know, he can make you feel like you're connecting at any, at any venue. You know, I'm absolutely. sure those, those people that went and saw them at, at Rock Candy or Trees or CBGB's back in 1991 felt the same connection that people do at Wrigley Field in 2016 or 2018. He's just, he's that charismatic of a front man. Absolutely. It, it transcends venue. Uh, you know, the bigger that it gets, the more comfortable that he gets to be on stage. And it, it's just, I, I, I think that they can thrive in the NFL stadium atmosphere if they wanted to. But um, you know what? The baseball stadium, honestly, it's it's their shtick. The, the baseball stadium is more of their thing. They're baseball guys, and I, I think it works. So, uh, hey, the, let's, the, the Bears did have a pretty good season last year, so we'll see how it goes. They didn't finish that well. Not, no, but you know, they're getting there. They're getting there. Let's uh let's talk about some some kind of some notes going into this. There's a lot of there's a lot of storylines that are playing. You you said the pressure was on and it is because there are a lot of eyeballs on them. They have a lot of a lot of things that uh to follow up on. Um Oh, in 1995, just, they're the biggest band in the world. Let's not forget that. Yeah, they, they, they were superstars at this point. 
Right. The microscope is completely on them. Yep. And it's it's funny to see because all everything that kind of followed in 1995 has really faded out into kind of an oblivion and they've kind of, you know, they've stood on the mountaintop uh, since then. So it's it, it is kind of funny to see all the predecessors and everybody that followed and kind of did, the you know, if not the grunge thing, then then similar to the grunge thing. They still, after all these years, came out on top. Uh, it is quite quite interesting to see but um you know storylines that that kind of played into it the whole entire show was broadcast entirely on uh monkey wrench radio 89.1 fm uh it seemed like it was the beginning of the end of monkey wrench around this time am i right about that or did it not come until 96 i think probably 96 i know they did uh they did a berlin show in 96 that was monkey wrench that's that's that was yeah okay um but i think I don't think as many radio stations picked this one up as as they did for Atlanta 94. I don't remember this being on the radio in Atlanta. I think I had to go back and read uh, Five Horizons afterwards to, to really get it a did, full it scope It didn't of say. It. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it said, but there were stations that were picking it up. It just mm-hmm. wasn't uh, the local uh, out, you know, broadcasting out of the van uh, type deal. Right. Um, but you mentioned the Ticketmaster band was in full effect. Uh, only days before this, I think they had lost their legal fight. It was like the so, week before, yeah. yeah. And that was so, a big deal, too. You know, pe- They were seen as a failure. People, people were almost laughing at them, like, oh, you, know, you, you tried to play with the big boys and you lost, right. so now you're going to have to play the game. And he mentioned it's he mentions this in the show too that he, they didn't really have any backing from any other bands that they right. were kind of in this on their own and you know while other bands were kind of like yeah we we get it we we get that they're you know corporate you know conglomerate and you know but we can't we can't risk we can't risk uh, putting our careers at stake on this and, and, and those bands' careers ended up at your local state fair which you can go see true. any weekend of the summer. Exactly. So you know what? Sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's good to to fight what you believe for what you believe in. So and it absolutely paid off in this case. Uh, They played two shows in Milwaukee. One is in our archive that we covered back in February or March. Uh, So that was it, though, because they had a whole tour that was planned, and then Golden Gate Park happened. Uh, when Golden Gate Park happened and he had the stomach flu, uh, they canceled a bunch of tour dates for about, I would say, it was about two weeks of tour dates because they, they would go on and, and fill the rest of those dates in from September to November of 95. And uh, it was only the Milwaukee shows before this. So this was really, this was the end what was going to be the end of their summer tour, but they ended up making up for it later on. Uh and days earlier, uh, the Grateful Dead played their last ever show at Soldier Field before uh, the passing of uh, of Jerry Garcia. Uh, so, and they they said it a million times in the show too. They were trying; they had a tough act to follow. They were trying to follow the thirty song set or you know three hour set that that Grateful Dead went out there and did. And and those are really really difficult shoes to follow. Yeah, the, you think about the Grateful Dead. I don't think it, in 1995 it wasn't really the same crowd that was going to see both. Maybe, maybe a, a crossover here and there. But you know, me being 17 in 1995, fuck the Grateful Dead. Like I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, give me something with some energy. So uh, 
I think that that kind of like was like kind of a question mark at the time. Like, really, the great Pearl Jam likes Grateful Dead? Hmm. Well, that, you know, they are from that era. They're you know they were seventies guys growing up listening to music in the seventies and the eighties, and kind of you know Grateful Dead mostly is a sixties band, uh, but. Uh, you know, I think it's it's more mostly out of respect. Yeah, and, and it's funny how you know now they've a lot of that that mantle has kind of been passed to, you know, Pearl Jam is that kind of band for for today. You know, they're they're the sure. band that's got the reputation for being amazing live, and people follow them around and across Europe and wherever they play. So it's funny how they've kind of be, they kind of took that torch and uh, kept it going. Maybe that was the day it all started. Could have been. The last point I had here was uh, the next day they began recording for No Code. They were feeling like a really good vibe from this, uh, from what I read in in PJ20, and they, they just went on and started recording, which I'm going to guess that if they were to lay lay down any tracks, it was probably for Habit and Lucan at that point. Well, it could have been, you know, it could have been a Red Mosquito or something like that that had been written before, but... Yeah, sure. I mean, if you think about it, you know, when you're, when you're in a band like this, you want to be at your peak when you go into the studio like you want to be road tested you want to be solid you don't want to go in like you know feeling stale and like you have to warm up a little bit you want to go in off of something like this where the energy's high you know you you can play the songs you're warmed up you've you've gotten a feel for the like how, how playing in front of a crowd seeing you know how the songs are going to translate so i think that's that's the perfect time to do it and i think it shows on the album Right, and they kind of did the same thing with Vitalogy too, where uh, they were going going along on tour, and they would record in, in the afternoon, and then they would play shows at night. So yeah, it's we, kind of we, we talked that about that. Premise. We talked about that with Atlanta, where I think they yep. probably went in the next day and recorded Better Man or Immortality or something like that. Same Seems trying bad, to capture yeah. that, trying to capture that live feeling. Absolutely. So you know, there's a lot of a lot of good things going on at this time. It's hectic with the band, and there's a major microscope on them. But you know what? Uh, well, let's you know. Sorry. Let's let's talk about 1995 first of all, because this was the first okay. year that that they kind of split up and started doing their own little things, right? Because so 1995 was kind of the year. You know, they were the biggest band in the world. But then you get maybe we need to step back a little bit after the Ticketmaster thing. So you get. Eddie going on tour with Mike Watt, you get Mad Season, you get Mirrorball. All those things were kind of happening around this time as well in 1995, 1996. Right, and uh, I think they went on tour with Neil for Mirrorball right mm-hmm. after this, but uh, Ed wasn't on that tour. Right. It was the rest of the band with uh, with Brendan O'Brien on keyboard as well. So, you know, it it, it is kind of showing that maybe around this time where at the beginning it was really Stone's band and Stone was kind of writing most of of the music. Uh, This was really transitioning into Ed's and becoming Ed's thing and also maybe becoming a thing where Ed needed to kind of branch out on his own and and figure himself out. Well, I'll say, too, it it also became more of a band thing. I think whereas Vitalogy, you know, Ed kind of stretched his legs a little bit for 1995 1996 it was everyone in the band saying well hey you know if he can do that i i have these songs you know sure the band going like on no code there's a lot more collaborative and everybody brings in songs right you know so i think that was that's also kind of saved them too is like it didn't just become the eddie vetter show you know jeff stepped up and wrote some great songs on no code uh there's it became a lot more collaborative like you'll see a lot of the early songs you'll see you know, lyrics by Stone, music by Stone. Lyrics by Eddie, music by right. Eddie. 
right. um, starting on No Code and the albums after that, you get a lot of like, oh, music by McCready, uh, lyrics by a better, you know, uh, music by Amit, lyrics by a better. You know, you get a lot more collaboration going on on no, starting on No Code. All right. Well, let's uh, all that information aside. Let's uh, let's kind of get into what's a really kick-ass show here and legendary. It's a vault show. Uh, vault number. You're good with this stuff. What number is it? I want to say it was number three or four. See, they, I they, was thinking see, five. They, they don't number them on the on the vinyl. Yeah. So yeah, I keep them. I keep them stored in chronological order. So is this one of the ones that they that they re released this past year? They. They did, and this was the one for for this purpose for doing this episode. Uh, this is the one I, I ended up buying and nice. spending fifty dollars uh, plus the twenty dollars shipping on. So, but you know what? Like to just have one vault, you know, to have it in my collection is something that I wanted, and it, it was it was a it was a really good idea for them to to re release all that stuff. And I, I think some of it might even still be available, uh, including Soldier Field. I think the Soldier Field show and maybe the um, uh, the Missoula show might still be available on their website okay. right now. But um, but but be, you know, be forewarned, it does not have the complete show. It does on not have no. release. Nope, you're ending right at porch. Uh, it still sounds great, you know. But yeah, they should have added one more. Uh, yeah, throw, throw one more record in there. Yeah, come exactly, on. exactly. Let's uh, let's kick it off. An eerie, eerie vibe fills the Chicago air as release and the beginning of release happens here, and you hear the the early strumming and Ed's voice right away. You can tell how raw and how powerful it is from the very very start here. Oh yeah, this is a this is a great version of release, and we talked about you know a lot of the points from Atlanta. We're gonna re- this is only eighteen months later, so we're still gonna be talking about a lot of the same things. But release is a perfect opener for a place like this. It's it's gonna fill the stadium. It gives you that feeling of you know every everyone's in from the beginning in release. And I think the the best part that I can think about this version is the final chorus and how raspy and how deep he gets with it not something that you'll see with release nowadays he will he'll lay off it a little bit and it'll kind of be uh you know it, it won't sound edgy at all and this just, sound, just sounded like it had an edge to it that you know he was he was trying to uh put a statement out there that like this was going to be the show that everybody remembers this is going to be the show that puts him aside from everybody else uh that that sided with Ticketmaster. this was going to be the show that was going to go down as an all-time great and and i think for those reasons and ed's voice just being absolutely in the generation in this era uh you know the best sounding of this era i think 
uh, I think for those reasons, that's why you hear a really good show here. Well, if you go back, you know, going back to my elevator pitch saying, you know, the pressure's on and they delivered, think about their mindset before they go out on stage, right? The Ticketmaster thing has just ended. They've never played a show in a place like this before to this many people in the United States, as far as I know. They've got to be, there's got to be a little bit of self-doubt there. It's only human to think like, you know, can we do this? Are we, are we this kind of band? So, and for it to be in Chicago, you know, Eddie's hometown, you know they, they wanted to go out and, and, you know, stomp on the face of these people, to put it one way, from the very beginning. Like, you know they were going to reach down for something extra from the, from the very beginning. Yeah, and you know what? It uh, it showed the whole way through. They were on fire the whole entire night. Um, you know, we said we were going to do things a little bit differently, and this is this is how we're going to do things a little bit differently during the show. So uh, we're not going to really go song by song here. We're going to kind of go section by section, and we're going to talk about the section in itself and a little bit about the songs as we go. So the section that happens after release, it goes release, Go, last exit, spin the black circle, tremor Christ. And that section oh, like I, sort you, of you, I just early got on. I just got chills when you said that. Oh I, I love this so much. <laughs> it's I mean, it's a fantastic way to start any show, but just for this era, it feels like it's so fitting. Like all those songs, uh, you know, as far as set construction, it's it's pretty typical for the era to get last exit very early, to get Tremor Christ being that breakup uh, in between songs in the set. Uh, but, man, they're going wild with three very fast, very punk-like songs, you know, very energetic, raw, uh, you know, bringing that, that nightclub vibe to the out, uh, you know, the outdoor stadium, the NFL stadium. There's nothing better than this little section to, to start it off. Oh yeah. And you, you know, if you watch the video too, you see the, the, the crowd up front, as soon as go starts, you know, yep. being, you, you know, it would have just been a surge in, for, of people. Once, once the, that first notes of go hit, like immediately you're, you're in the middle of it. And it's like, Holy shit, here we go. And it really, you know, it really kind of feels like Ed is leaving everything on the table, even in the first three songs, He's leaving everything out there as if it were their last show. If it, if they were the last band on earth and they had something to prove, if this was the only band that you were going to listen to at the until the end of time, you wanted it to to sound like this. It sounds like they're fired up, and it, it's not even like everything sounded like they were going a little faster. Like you know, go being a fast song nowadays. Last exit being a fast song. Spin a black circle being a fast song. Everything is paced really smoothly which is kind of kind of took me aback a little bit because i'm thinking like you know for this early a time uh and the way that ed is as hard as ed's going with his vocals the band just feels really tight and and, and smooth you yeah, well, that could be also related to the venue you know if you're they, they probably stuck to the studio versions a little closer at least at the beginning to think uh you know, we're going out for this huge crowd at this NFL stadium. Let's not go, let's not push it too hard. I mean, they, they might have left Eddie out of this conversation, but, <laughs> you know, getting, and again, you know, Jack hasn't been in the band for too long. Um, so he's probably still working on, off, you know, playing the studio versions, not trying to, not trying to speed up and slow down, trying to keep that same tempo for everyone. So I think that had probably had something to do with it, but, it, but they, yeah, you're right. They, they sound great and they're, 
they're they're locked in. And you would never, from looking at, if if you watch the YouTube video, I, I can I can put the YouTube video out there. I can change the name of it. I could say you know Pearl Jam in you know uh, Bangladesh or or wherever, and you would never be able to tell that they were playing in a place like Soldier Field. That, at least not the way it was shot. Uh, it looks like they're playing in a regular arena, right. and you know it, it's kind of it's kind of amazing because that's exactly how they would play in a regular arena and you're getting this sound in this uh rarefied air that that is just putting out to the world it, it sounds uh it sounds fantastic this is why people talk about it i just wish i could go day. back 25 years and make the person holding the vhs just turn a little bit to the left let's get a little more jack in the video yeah yeah and then he's later he's on we miss it a little bit too he is, uh, is i love watching him play drums and he misses he misses it too. Uh, Brendan O'Brien, mm-hmm. when he goes on keys later, uh, completely cut out of the camera. So I, you know, I, I know uh, you kind of have to hide it a little bit back then. Right. You know, doing the bootlegs and the cameras are huge, yeah. I'll give him a break. It's probably one of those big like shoulder harness ones oh, yeah. where yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass. VHS but, tapes and yeah, all that exactly it's, exactly. It's probably not pretty. The next three songs are absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite section of the night. If it's not, it's really close to being it. We're going to start it off with Corduroy. And this is really, you said before that these songs feel like they're closest uh, that they've been to the album in, in quite some time. And it, this is the closest that I've heard uh, to a Corduroy sounding on the album especially the beginning and kind of how that beginning has that extended version where they go a little bit longer close to matching the pace that's on the record live since then at least right well you know this section too you get you get eddie putting on the guitar so we've got it we've got a three guitar attack now um and you know as soon as he starts this little the little arpeggio at the beginning of corduroy your your hair stands up on end like the build-up that when they go in from that intro is is perfect. It's just what you want. This is corduroy is probably the highlight of the show for me. It's it is one of the major highlights. I completely agree with you. Um, I, I, it's just the way that Jack drives the song, though. I it, it there's something to it. He fits. Uh, he just fits with the band better. And and people love Dave A because he hits really hard and he you know whatever. But he didn't really fit with the band and jack just fit 
uh, you know, I almost, yeah, you know, you think about what would have happened if he had been able to stick around and tour, but I think it would have been really, really interesting because I think he really meshed well with, with the rest of the band and musically, I think they, you, he just, he fits perfectly with what they were trying to do at this point. You hear at the end of the song, you hear kind of going into that, that final piece there and all you hear is that hi-hat before Ed goes back into the original strumming and that's a lot of what happens on the show is just like the way that they're building to stuff. They're letting Jack kind of, they're laying off for Jack. They're either laying off for Jack and letting Ed sing parts. You know, we'll hear it in Not For You. We'll hear it in other songs with similar builds, but they're really killing how they're building up to the big moments in these songs. And Corduroy is definitely one where they started doing that. They definitely knew, you know, this is the point where these songs kind of become you know the vitology songs have been around people are familiar with them they're starting you're starting to realize which ones are going to become the anthems you know which ones are going to have the staying power and and corduroy for good reason is is the number one off of that one along with better man ed talks after this he asked the crowd how they're doing uh said he played there last night uh when it was empty and thought that was going to be more fun but this is all right too I don't think we should play another note until we thank the Grateful Dead for letting us play their stage. Uh, there's still joints on it, and so it's only right for us to play as long as they did. And, you know, this is seven songs in right now for them to say that. That's, uh, you know, you, it's a 22-song first set. That's incredible. Right. You don't get, you don't get first sets like that. Never, and and that's never. that's not that's not even including you know some of the improvs that they did some of the tags that they did you know that that's and a lot of talking too so that's a lot of time I think I was counting um, it was an hour and fifty before they hit Ooh. the encore yeah that's, uh, around that it's almost two buck. hours yeah so that that you know not only you know the way that you make a legendary show is not only in performance itself, but doing so, stuff that you've never done before, you know, trying stuff that you've never done before. That's, that's the sort of thing that, that does make this show special in a lot of people's eyes. So back then this was, this was as, as far as they would go. I think this was their longest show up until that point. I believe so. So, and, and maybe for the next couple of years, it was probably their longest show. I think it's so. until Randall's Island. Yeah. So we get whipping coming after Corduroy here, and this is one of the most perfect-sounding songs on this night uh, to me, um, and it might be one of the best whippings I've ever received. Oh, Mike is unbelievable on this. It's he sent the guitar sounds so full on the on the recording. It's you know, and whipping is a song. You know, a lot of times we you guys have talked about it before, where he kind of does that. Bling. The, the plucking, ding, ding, ding. yeah. There's none of that in this. It's it's full on, you know, power chords, and it it fills up that stadium. I'm sure. Well, there was a little of the plucking stuff. like you're on a pogo stick usually it feels kind of like you're bouncing around and you're kind of like bouncing up and down but this kind of felt more 
like it had more grit to it, that it had more attitude. Oh yeah, it it was it was looking to punch you in the face for sure. This it, it was all about pacing in this one. It's it was about the groove. They're not trying to outdo themselves, beat themselves in a race like they usually do with whipping nowadays. This is absolutely magnificent. Agreed. Uh, and that brings us into I got shit. <laughs> of this song whoa baby there's so much fire and rage unhinged raw emotion with it and versions of it nowadays make it sound like it's kind of a happy song but you know it was never it never had that intention of of happiness at all it's it's a depressing as fuck song depressing as fuck lyrics there's loathing there's there's seething and I think this is the best example that I can find in this version. Every single emotion is is bursting out of it. Oh yeah, you can tell he's he's almost like twisting himself in a coil when he's singing, trying to get it get it out. Um, this is one of my top five Pearl Jam songs all time, no doubt. Really? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it wasn't soon after this. I think it was ninety six or ninety seven. They started tagging it with Cinnamon Girl um, because he realized when he wrote it that the chorus was the same. Um, <laughs> well, but uh, I mean, you're, when you're in the room with Neil right, Young, it right. kind of um, rubs off a little bit. Yeah, just to just to come up with something like this off off the cuff, like not even in an album cycle, really. You know, for them to be you know, recording Mirrorball and hey, we need we need a couple more songs. I had to just go in the other room and bust out something like this is is the work of genius. And yeah, that was exactly the story where, you know, it was, you got a song, you got a song, you got a song. And he points to Ed and Ed says, I don't got shit. And he said, that's your song. And, and, and don't, don't discount that Merkin Ball release. That was a big deal. Cause you know, think about they were again, the biggest band in the world. You're getting, you're getting two new songs off of that. And you get, you get, you get, I got it, I got shit and, and long road, you know, two fan favorites to their probably top 20 best songs on a little throwaway two song EP. Just one more thing on, on I got shit here. Uh, it's just as natural as it can be. And then the finish to the song with the lights completely out and the final delicate strums of the last two chords. I think it was just sort of 
it, it was a pleasing moment, you know, it, just after kind of uh, what was what was a bit of a an unhinged version of the song. Oh, it's, it kind it's, of it's, has... a, it's a gorgeous melody to the song. It's a it's a beautiful song. It's it's like I said, one of my top five Pearl Jam songs of all time. The crowd is kind of insane between between songs here. Uh, Hungry for more, whatever is going on down there, you can audibly hear Ed is calling out dissidents. So I don't know if it's like not in the set list or if somebody's not paying attention to the set list, but he's audibly saying dissident, dissident, dissident. Um, but during all that, you can see the crowd is just, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to go again. Uh, oh, they're, fo- they're foaming at the mouth. I mean, yeah. they're, they're getting a chance to see the biggest band in the world in a, in a venue like this, you know, who wouldn't be, uh, and this whole section here, uh, it's it's kind of a big section to sort of gloss over, but we'll we'll get to spots when we need to get to spots here. But we got dissident, we got even flow, and then we got an improv of uh, sick of pussies, which is originally a bad radio song that they teased a little bit back in the day. Uh, deep, then Jeremy, then glorified G. So what what all stuck out to you in this little section here? You know it's. It's the the improv. I think is cool uh, to give a little nod to to his history in Chicago, and uh, I like the little kind of weird thing that Mike is doing on the guitar. Was, was Bad Radio Chicago or San Diego? They were San Diego, okay. but he's still like you know he's you know he's from Chicago. He wants to give a little nod to to where he came right. from. Right, um, and then into Deep, and this was like they only played Deep a handful more times this year before they dropped it. Yep for for eight years so and again there's nothing wrong with this version it's a great version but it's just interesting that they would it just it started to become one of those songs that didn't really fit with where they were heading no it's not a jack song at all right and i think i i've said that with with why go um how i didn't think why go was really a jack song either and that's another one that they decided to kind of dump during this time and 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 also interesting how they quickly abandoned the the new jeremy from from milwaukee yes i was going to mention in favor that. of the yep in favor of the traditional jeremy i think it, the the quote that i think it's from jeff said you know you experiment with things sometimes and you just realize the the original version you had was better right right and i think um they would go on to do it I think maybe two more times later that year when they would we would do, uh, you know, the fill-in shows, but uh, it really wouldn't stick much at all past that. Um, you know, it's it's funny about Jeremy because you know I, I, I get this feel that around then, yeah, they were experimenting with no Jeremy and they were, I guess, getting kind of sick of uh, this original version. But you know, this is what's out there. If people are watching MTV, MTV has to put in their obligation and their fulfillment to Pearl Jam. And how can they do that? Oh, the, Jeremy's still in heavy rotation in 1995 on MTV, for 100%. sure. 100%. It was still in heavy rotation when I started watching MTV in, like, 96, 97. That's how, that's how important this, uh, this song was. It, it just it kept, it kept them alive on a station that they didn't want anything to do with. And, and, you know, MTV was trying to, to, I don't know, like keep their, keep, keep them relevant. 1995 was when you hit, you kind of get those clones on, you get Bush and live and, 
you know, a lot of those bands start popping up that are willing to be more media friendly and more MTV friendly. Right. So, you know, the, the Pearl Jam kind of got kind of got pushed to the side in favor of those bands. And then, you know, Green Day too. Green Day was being big at the right. time and they were, you know, they made music videos for just about every one of their songs. Everybody was trying to to get on TV and and get in the limelight and it's it's just kind of funny how sometimes when you zig when everybody's zigging you try and and zag and see how it works for you and you know they they never they never got knocked down off their perch so glorified G and dissident are forgettable for me I don't like those songs you know um dissident I, the one thing i wanted to say about dissident is it's just super smooth it feels like the high parts are absolutely no challenge for him at this point in the game. It's just, if even finishes on a strong point, which he usually kind of tanks at the end. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not like dissident is not in my top 30 or 40 songs. I like it, but or hundred. Well, that, look, that, that's just you. If you want to bring <laughs> that vibe into this podcast, look, I, I mean, there are other podcasts that can have that vibe. I don't know if I want to have that. Sure. I'm just I'm just saying. Well, and, uh, the thing I'll say about Dissident is that uh, they're currently filming the Black Widow movie. I hope that they use Dissident for the soundtrack. All right. So that kind of that gets us into Daughter here, which is really it, it's it's a fairly standard fun and poppy version of this. But really, the most important part are the tags. And it starts off this. It's kind of like a medley. And it starts off with uh, this boy, which is a song from that dog. That is about Eddie. Tell us about this song, this boy from That Dog. Well, a lot of people forget about That Dog. They were kind of great. Like, they were uh, not all female, but I think three-fourths female. It was kind of like um, how Hole was, right? Ooh, a little bit, a little bit. But That Dog was a lot more, they were like kind of in that cool Sonic Youth Beck uh, crowd. Um but they had really great harmonies. Petra Hayden, who went on to play with the uh, Decemberists and has a very had a very good solo career. Um, she actually does a she did an acapella cover of the Who's, uh, which album is that? Now I'm drawing a blank. Um, the Heinz one with the the baked beans on. Oh God! Uh, shit! What is that album called? That's not Who by Numbers. No, it's before that. Anyway, she does she does an all acapella cover of that album, and it's amazing. She's they're so talented, and it's got Anna Waronker, who's Joey Waronker's sister. Uh, Joey played drums in Smashing Pumpkins, I think, and Happens for Peace. Um, but but they were kind of like a, a lot of thick harmonies, you know, and they were just kind of an alternative, kind of like a Weezerish kind of band, and you know they they wrote this song. Um, 
with with the hook of like what's all the fuss about this boy about Eddie Vedder because he was you know the biggest superstar in the world at that point and a lot of it was you know what's all the fuss he's just a guy so he kind of took that on and co-opted and he they they tagged it a few times back in back in the day but this is probably the the most the most notorious one yeah i think the number on it is three and i think this was the last one um but ed would have to agree with them that yeah he he is just a guy and he probably kind of took it as as a slight rib on himself and and that's just that's how he is he's he he can laugh at himself when he has to so I think it's a, a better one to do than the than the local H Eddie Vedder song. Oh, I didn't even know about that. What is what's the I don't Oh go go look it up. Okay. Don't, we don't have time to get it. All that. right. Well that could be for another episode. We'll have to bring it up. I think the, the the chorus is like it's about, you know, he's trying to go after a girl, but the girl wants Eddie Vedder and he's uh, not Eddie Vedder, so it's a whole just go listen to it. Don't you know, So it's every Pearl Jam fan ever. <laughs> Go listen to it if you haven't heard it. It's 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 worth it for nostalgia, if nothing else. So that boy, or this boy, I should say, uh, uh, kind of medleys into uh, Ed singing some lyrics for The Real Me uh, into WMA, and then finally ending this uh, intentional or unintentional medley with another brick in the wall, and the crowd is really good singing back to him. Uh, just, I don't think I've ever seen this many tags for daughter before we've seen right yeah it's a lot wma and and it's okay sometimes but for there for this this is as much as you can consider uh to be a medley and they don't really do medleys at all this is cool too because the the first time we really got exposed to daughter tags was saturday night live you know and so that's the one that everybody goes to right so it was it was nice to get a little bit of that in this um, I'm sure that's what everyone was waiting for, and everyone, if you go, you know, if Pearl Jam announced shows tomorrow and and started playing Daughter, people would start singing Another Brick in the Wall yep. because that's what they want to hear. Right. Um, but yeah, I like you know we're let, let's let's do the crowd favorite ones. Let's do WMA. Let's do Another Brick in the Wall. But let's do let's do this boy. Let's do Real Me. Ones that don't get don't get shown a lot of love for this. Uh, I like the way they kind of mix it up there. Yeah, agreed. And around that time. Uh, I mean, they were doing a lot of different stuff. I, I think uh, we mentioned Sick of Pussies before. Sometimes they would throw that in. I'm sure sometimes they would throw Suggestion Daughter. I don't know if that's too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Androgynous Mind is another thing that they would throw in at that time, too. So, uh, But to kind of, this is kind of like the ultimate, you know, put all your Power Rangers Zords together and make the, the mega, oh, yeah. mega tag. This is, this is it. So uh, pretty cool to hear. Um, after daughter we get animal not in a spot in the set that we're very used to but it is a good post daughter choice animal here kind of would get forgotten about but it still works oh yeah and this and the song like it's one of the songs that you know when they play it live now it doesn't have the same ferocity that it did back then right and it and it and it kind of loses a little bit of the the meat of it but this version is great and it, it it leads into the the next little side very nicely yeah the delay pedal in this i don't think i've ever heard the delay sounding that kind of wiry sounding that kind of wonky sound that we hear on this i, I don't think i've ever sound heard it sound like this before uh stone says hi to smitty and that is the best part of the show because stone talked uh then ed asks everybody if they're doing okay 
and then kind of, I guess, looks to one side, says, How, what's it like on this side? And then he mentions the fancy people up in the skybox. Uh, don't get angry, because life has a way of working itself out. These rich, fancy people have all the luxury, but it seems to me that they're the furthest from the stage, and they're behind a window. Looks like hanging out in those churches is paying off. So, you know, it, it, it's just, it's it's what the crowd wants to hear. It's, it's absolutely, it's something that you get on a Pearl Jam show nowadays. You know, he's never going to back off of that kind of stuff. Uh, fuck the man, fuck greed, all that crap. You know, I'm surprised that they would even have, uh, you know, uh, sweets and stuff like that at at a Pearl Jam show in 90. He's, he's a, he's a man of the people. He really is. Um, and that kind of gets us into habit here. Uh, this is the third instance that they would play habit. And it's, it's probably very unfamiliar to the audience, uh, pre no code, but pre-internet pre-internet. So it's fitting the overall storyline of the song. It's the raw energy. It's, you know, mixed with the pacing that's not completely going haywire. And I really feel like it came into its own right after that, like, child of the 90s part. Speaking as a child of the 90s. hone in kind of the pacing of it and kind of able to go a little nuts with it without destroying themselves without really forcing it and that again that's a that's sort of the the storyline of of the night is is just you know how how good they can sound when they can pace themselves and 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 it's cool too where they pick these shows these kind of monkey wrench radio shows these shows that they know are going to be a big deal like, hey, let's throw out a couple of new songs. Sure. Right? Let's just give it a try. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Not many bands would have the balls to do that. And like we said in the beginning, Habit could have been something that they recorded the next day. Who knows? Right. Definitely. Uh, one thing I did want to mention about Habit, this was the third time that they ever played it, the first time being at Red Rocks, but it has kind of a history to it before that. Uh, you mentioned the Mike Watt shows, and this is on that album, the Ringspiel album, and I happened to listen to that today uh, as I was making dinner. And, Excellent choice. Yeah, and I bought it a couple weeks ago, and I finally got around to listening to it, and one of the things I noticed is that a couple songs before they did Habit, they ha- uh, did a song called Against the 70s, and you can hear somewhere in the middle kind of the same type of you know, pausing the song, breaking the song, going into a bridge, going into a chorus, uh, where Mike says, speaking as a child of the seventies, mm-hmm. going back into it, that is where you get the speaking of as a child of the nineties part. A little callback to, to Mike Watt. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you that didn't know that, uh, there you go. You know, nice little piece of history. Uh, but 
not finishing with no code just yet. We're uh, getting a little uh, playing around in between, doing some weird shit between Mike and Stone. Just experimenting, you know, just I, I saw it as nothing but just kind of fiddling around. And that transitions into this early version of Lucan. code uh you know lucan has had a bit of a long uh stronger live presence at this point it's uh it was played 22 times uh i think debuting in in seattle earlier at february at a uh, piss bottle men show um but those who are completely tapped in at the time i think should probably know lucan but I don't think you can really tell that there there are different lyrics, uh, but it, it's again it's Lucan, so it's 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 impossible yeah, I think the, to tell. The, the official lyrics to Lucan are probably just whatever he thought they were that day, right? Other than they recorded it. Um, but yeah, Lucan is. I don't think people knew it as Lucan. It was like, oh, it's the fast one. Okay, right. It's the the fast new one. You know, probably like the freak purchasing the gun or something like that. If hmm. if he even says it on that day right right something like that but was this so this was this something that you knew going into the show or no definitely not okay definitely so not. this this was fresh to you once no cut game i mean it, it was immediately my favorite song of course yeah <laughs> how could it not be uh ed was talking here again and he's saying that they grew up he grew up there but he never saw the bears play uh, he said, it's not that he's against supporting a losing team, but we couldn't afford the tickets. And then he kind of snickers after he says tickets. Did you notice that? Yeah. He counts oh, yeah. off <laughs> tickets. <laughs> uh, so today while we were watching Otis Rush, we saw these flying bugs with radio stations and lame ass messages on the back that ruined the view. And I'm against guns and military weapons, but it could have used something about then. Uh, and then he mentions uh, 89.1 and Monkey Wrench Radio, how they're broadcasting out of a van. But there's some big billboard somewhere that says something, something not for you, but the joke's on them because it's really not for them. And that gets us into not for you. Um, this is a really strong candidate for me for Song of the Night. Uh, it's It captures the emotion that they're playing with the whole entire night, but it's also... It's about the Ticketmaster stuff that comes at the end here. Uh, And again, like we mentioned before with Corduroy and a couple of those other ones, uh, the band is slowing down and building the pace back up to the hard parts. And it's giving Ed this major spotlight that worked really well the whole entire band. Yeah. 
back on for this one and you get the little uh the little pretty again the little arpeggiated pretty part at the end that he plays instead of the you know we still hadn't gotten the sleater kinney we weren't right. we weren't quite there yet so you get the little i like the way that that kind of fades out there and we get a little uh you you mentioned it before i was able to notice it you you mm-hmm. thought you heard river of deceit there there's definitely a little a little river of deceit riff There's no questioning that there is Little Wing after this. There, there is definitely Little Wing. They, they don't get much more past uh, the beginning part, but I would call that snippets for sure. That is a snippet. There we go. If you're playing we've, the home game, we, we are. We've we've hit our our max amount of snippets per show on this one. I think. <laughs> I mean, the whole daughter thing that is that is snippet central there, and uh, sick of pussies, another one. Mm-hmm. But this is where. In the show, a massive Ticketmaster sucks chant breaks out. Ticketmaster sucks. Ticketmaster sucks. <laughs> oh, God Ed bless is, these people. <laughs> Ed is basking in it, and he is like, you know, he doesn't start it. It is all the all on the crowd, and it is a perfect moment to do that because he teed up the song by saying, "You know, uh, the radio stations think it's 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 for them, but that's who it's not for." Uh, and uh, you know, he says it's 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 up to you guys. We tried our bit and we went for it. Hate to think that this is the wave of the future that corporate giants and some of them can't be toppled. I guess that it's more than just the wave of the future. It's you know, literally. There's like three companies controlling this this country right now, uh, but you know we were uh, so young back then, so naive. Yep, uh, he says you talk about voting. You're a consumer. You vote every day, and now you got me all fucking depressed thinking about that shit. We were over it. We were moving on, and the crowd kind of picks them back up here. They chant Eddie, and he says we they didn't support the other uh, get the support from the other bands, but they were scared to get in the ring. But a lot of people were behind us. Um, it just there. It's great that they're acknowledging it, and on this this big a stage, it's kind of impossible not to. I'm sure that they probably would have wanted to go the whole show and and not you know address it. But yeah. you know that they that they did so. It kind of it kind of made them heroes to the crowd. I would think. Yeah. Again, man of the people. That brings us into Elderly Woman and this section here, kind of ending the la- the final four songs. Uh, uh, wanted to talk about these overall, but Elderly Woman especially, this is just, 
it, it is a groove and a better Firefly moment while having the depressing yet reflective feel. It is not the sing-along that it's it's more than obviously become nowadays it, it's you know there's a little bit of a layup on the lyrics in this version but uh man does it it sound uh the way that i love hearing it be, being sound yeah if only he remembered the words um but i think this too it's because it's such a long first set i think you know normally you would end the first set with not for you right there and small town comes out ugly woman is the first song of the first encore but i think because they knew they were going to play such a such a long first set it's like let's throw elderly woman in there to break it up and then we'll build it back up with immortality alive in the porch so i think it, it kind of is another wave to that first set where normally that would be saved for an encore sure sure and you know and that kind of Maybe you don't even get immortality in the set list. And, you know, immortality is kind of important here uh, because there were reports that a lightning bolt struck down at one point, which is weird because there doesn't look to be any signs of rain. It doesn't look to they don't mention the heat whenever they're hot. They they will mention heat. Uh, But, you know, apparently during lightning uh, during immortality, a lightning a lightning bolt struck at some point, which Hmm. is just an amazing visual for what that song is and what it represents. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, there's nothing better than, and I'm lucky enough to see it a couple times and seeing immortality, you know, in, in the star, seeing it in the skyline and, and hearing it full with, you know, outside with an arena full of people. It, it is, it is meant for that environment. It's. I mean, it's a high point of any show that it's at. It's one of those transcendent songs that that builds, and then the solo at the end is unbelievable. It's yeah. got everything. This was, you know, obviously lots of great Jack Irons madness at the end here. It's a shining moment for him on the show, where mm-hmm. we've already mentioned he has a bunch of standout moments. Uh, but you know, it, it's just it's it's fitting, and it kind of. It, it's sort of a calm before before the storm. How we're ending the set with a live in porch. Uh, you know, I, if I were in the crowd, you know, the whole entire time thinking alive was the twentieth song, it's felt like it's flown by, hasn't it? Definitely. It's almost two two full hours. It's batshit crazy for a show nowadays. For a show back then, it's absolutely insane. Uh, for and, and give, and give Ed credit because he's a master of reading the crowd and knowing where to mm-hmm. put those breaks and where where do we need to build people up and where we need to take a break and when can we throw everything at them. I mean, he's that's something he's been good at from the beginning. Absolutely. And uh, Alive really feels like, you know, it, it is a high point for most of these fans in this crowd. Uh, it, it It is meant for this stage. It is meant for... 47,000 people for the out outdoor, the big moment, the big feel arenas. And you know what? I kind of, I like it not, I've mentioned this before. I like it not ending a set. I like it kind of being the precursor to ending the set uh, here with porch at the end here, which, you know, if we get to in a second, I'm not that crazy about this version of porch, but um, to, for, for us to get to, porch with alive is you know it's strengthening porch oh yeah porch is again porch is the showstopper 
of of their set at this point. And yeah, it is a little more laid back than than a lot of versions from this time, but it's still powerful and you still get I like the kind of almost ambient guitar stuff that's going on in the the bridge there. And then you get Eddie walking out in the crowd, you know, getting getting in with the people yep. uh, at the end there, which is always really cool, really a highlight. Did you notice uh I I kind of I put my finger on it the first time I, I I listened to it, but the second time I figured out what it was. Uh, did you notice a little uh, "Born to Be Wild" riff in there? No, like a little. Oh, they're so sneaky! Mike's yep. so sneaky with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's just it was it was very subtle. And you know, and occasionally they'll throw in something in the porch that that you that you don't get again. And you know, there aren't a lot of versions of porch that have this kind of like kind of laid back, kind of cool like guitar tone based solo part. It's it's yeah. not one of those like rip roaring fast versions, but it's really powerful and really cool nonetheless. It's it's not, and I actually I said the same thing that I'm going to say for another song in, in the encore. Um, it maybe they're trying to channel their inner Grateful Dead, sort of with Possible. them taking maybe, the stage. Maybe some of some of the joints that were later on the stage were starting to take effect by that point. <laughs> well, you know they'll never say no to that. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. I personally, I thought it was a little tame for what you know what the stage and setting was and what they were doing the rest of the night. It felt like something something stronger could have been there, but hmm. uh, as as far as how they ended the song, it was definitely a strong finish with Ed doing the patent and joining the crowd in the end to sing. So, you know, that's that's how you finish that first set there. And that's, oh boy, that is 21 songs. And that is a doozer of a first set. And it is not over. Uh, if you listen to the YouTube video, uh, we hear an audio recording from the DJ from Monkey Wrench Radio. Do you know who this DJ is? I do not. Okay. I couldn't place uh, his voice. Okay, I I don't know if it was the same guy any every time or or what, but uh, he kind of mentions that Eddie would be doing, uh, uh, you know, would be spinning some records later, and might say uh, he says they might get bad religion on, uh, but then he goes on to say that seventy thousand people are there. That's not true. It was forty seven thousand. Right. He also to- hints. He says something about like. Oh, I heard heard them playing some stuff yesterday. We might get some really special. weird shit. Yeah. yeah, really weird shit and really weird shit indeed. Uh, Ed Ed says that there's a lot to work to a lot of work to get to this point, and we're going to stick around for a little bit. Uh, but we we got some weird shit. His words exactly weird shit. Uh, and this is where Brendan O'Brien comes out uh, to play with them. You, and, are, we, are we sure it just or it wasn't? wasn't just a really young Boom Gasper. It was not a young Boom <laughs> I don't think they could fly him. I don't think they had the money to fly him out from Hawaii at the point. Oh, they had the money. I think he, whether it was he would, if he would get on the plane or not. Yeah, well. But yeah, don't be tricked. There is Oregon, but it is not Boom. It is not Boom. It is, it is, it is our good friend Bob, Brendan O'Brien, uh, who's a Georgia guy. Am Indeed. I right about that? Yeah. Okay. I knew he was a Braves fan. I just wanted to make sure he was a Georgia guy. So this is some weird shit here. Everyday people, Sly and the fam- Family Stone. This is a one-time, one-time only deal here. And it's kind of one of the oddest 
outside of the box things they've ever done, maybe outside of, you know, doing a snippet of Let Let It Go. Right. It's so random. It's up there. It's up there. love that this was just a one-time only deal because it was weird and there was hesitation that they kind of knew it was a little weird and it didn't sound like the band could have you know played it at 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 their full potential because maybe i don't know maybe maybe it just wasn't their type of song to do i did you did you feel that? Did you feel some hesitation there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, to go back to think in 1995 that Pearl Jam would do a Sly and the Family Stone cover seems completely unthinkable and wrong right. and everything. That it seems like that that would never work. Why would they do that? Right. But I mean, they they, they kind of had fun with it. You know, you get a little a little mention of Jack Irons there at the beginning, um, and you know they're they're just having fun and playing around with it. Hundred percent. It's one of those instances where if it's even though it's not a lights out slam dunk, it's fun to go back to. It's fun to revisit. And it's just, you know, it only has this one spot. It's not like they'll, they say later in the year, like, okay, you know what? Really vibing on this. Let's do it again. Or they say in 2005, you know what? You know what we haven't done in a real long time? Everyday people, let's do that again. No, they never said that. And one it's time, fun too, it, it just, and it just kind of falls apart at the end. There's no real... And he's like, oh, and we're done. But that's kind of the the way that the intro, Let My Love Open the Door, is kind of great because of that. Yep. And it just kind of goes right into it. time that i hear this because they'll play this a lot on pearl jam radio and they'll play both songs together uh i kind of get a little bit of goosebumps hearing them playing both together because it's just uh, you know once you get that that riff 
of Let My Love Open the Door, then things are starting to really gel. This is a lights out slam dunk of a cover here. Right. Oh, yeah, it's uh, great. It's probably, I've mentioned a couple of different highlights of this show, but this is probably, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll mention it later uh, when we do kind of a new little segment, but this is, this might be the highlight of the show. Hmm. What an electric, energetic performance. The last time that they would ever play it out of six times, all in 1995. And I'm just, I'm blown away with how good it sounds. I've been listening to this version for a while and you know, I think listening to it the last few weeks or so has really invigorated my love for not just their version of the song and how tight that this version was, but just the song in general. And I guess it's kind of one of those things where it's sort of stuck in 1995 and we're never getting it again. So it, it's sort of a jealousy thing, too. Does he do this in his solo shows ever? No, I don't think so. This is, you know, and everybody knows how Eddie feels about Pete Townsend. That's that's well well tread territory. Play it backwards point, and you will. Exactly. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, this was something that was close to his heart and something that he really probably brought to them and said, guys, I really want to do this. And he was, again, really going for the passion and going for the energy, wanting to do the song justice and wanting to, to make it special. And it shows, for sure. And while everyday people might have felt a little bit outside of the real house and a little strange, this was the opposite. Oh, yeah. You know, if they brought this back nowadays, it wouldn't skip a beat. Not at all. So it was really, uh, you know, high, a big highlight of the show, fantastic version. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know when the next time we're ever going to cover it is because uh, the rest of the shows that they played it at, I'm not sure how impactful they are. I don't know if we'll get back to any of those. We'll get to them eventually. Is that a promise? That's a promise. That's a promise from Politician oh, yeah. Baba there. <laughs> it is a promise. That Nin- means he's Nin- not keeping that promise. We are, we are going back to 1995, whether whether it kills me or not. Well, yeah, we're going back to every <laughs> year. Whether It's, it's going to kill everybody, but we'll do it. Um, this section here, Better Man, Rearview Mirror, Stone Mentioning a Bunch of Birthdays, and Black. Um, Rearview Mirror was the other song that I said is the bridge really sounded like they were channeling something with the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of vibe to it. Yeah. And you know, you know how much they play with the bridge nowadays. It'll have all different kind of sounds. You know, 2003 was really, you know, the experimental, uh, they're like snowflakes. No two of them are alike. Nope. Exactly. And, uh, I, I didn't mind, this being part of rearview mirror is more than I, uh, you know, as much as I minded, uh, porch sounding the way it did. But, um, you know, if I were to get a little bit nitpicky, at least at first seeing this on paper, I'd be like, well, you got to do better man of black than rearview mirror going into blood. But I think they made the right decision. Oh yeah. I mean, and again, you, you, Ed's all about putting those waves in the set list. And, you know, coming off of Let My Love Open the Door into Better Man is perfect. Then you get, you know, get a rearview mirror where we're going to go. We're going to get up a little bit and then we're going to get down. And, you know, it's, he's a master of doing that again. Yeah. And you know what? Black was a really, really good black. But it's not, I. it sounds really tight. But I don't think that this version 
I was know, waiting. I was waiting for a We Belong Together. But. Yeah, that that sort of it took me it took me out of it, and, and it kind of felt pedestrian because of it. Um, well, I wouldn't I would never say black is pedestrian, but it's but it's compared to one, itself, right? For this show, you would have thought they would have they would have brought something special like a like a tag, but I'm sure you know for the people that are there, black you know every everyone loves the song. People know the song. It's it's a highlight again. Wherever it's one of the pillars of the set, wherever it ends up. And Brendan O'Brien is still playing throughout Better Man in Black, at least. I don't know if he's on Rearview, but he's yeah, definitely on tell. Black. There's there's so much guitar stuff going on, it probably got drowned out. Yeah, yeah, you would think. Uh, and, yeah, a bunch of birthdays are mentioned in there. Uh, again, Stone being allowed to talk. Uh, and then Ed mentions Always, always dangerous. <laughs> you don't want... no. Never give Stone the microphone. He might sing Mankind. How dare he? Uh, know, at if, this point. If, if July 11th is your birthday, feel free to throw yourself in there in the birthday wishes. Yep, exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. They're just covering said. everybody. He, he, uh, he mentioned his brother had a birthday the day before that, and then he had a brother that had a birthday on that day. Uh, so, so that must have been kind of... Childhood with a lot of birthdays at one time. I'm going to guess that they probably didn't get a lot of shared shared gifts or something like that. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe maybe they were twins that were born at 11:59 and 12:01. <laughs> I always wondered how that would work. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, so Ed kind of said in that little birthday section, he said, "If it's your birthday, it's like Denny's. You all get a free shirt." So, but I. I don't know if Denny's gave out free shirts or, or what, but uh, <laughs> a free uh, Rudy Tootie, fresh and fruity. Yeah, I was I was thinking Moon Over Miami. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, there's not much left in this set here, but there is this. <laughs> This is this is fantastic. This is everything encompassed in the set all crashed down with blood. And Ed is 100% full full on scream mode, full on, you know, going all out, going crazy, channeling his inner Pete Townsend as as he was earlier. Um they're leaving everything on that stage. How his voice is not destroyed at that point is mind-boggling, but he's going full force as if it were uh, Last Exit in the third song, and even more so, maybe. 
Oh yeah, and if you ever wanted to hear what someone dismantling a stage and throwing it into the crowd sounds like, just listen to this version of Blood, because that's what he does at the end. Yep. Not, not only did they leave everything on the stage, they took everything off the stage and threw it into the crowd. There was the mic stand, there was the guitar with the 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 skateboard sticker on it. I can't remember what, what that bumper sticker was. Skateboarding is not a crime, maybe? Skateboarding is not a popular crime. That's exactly, yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it was. Uh, but yeah, smashes everything in sight, screaming at everything in sight. It's it almost is... like the band has to keep playing so he can keep destroying the stage. <laughs> exactly. And keep throwing things into the crowd. Exactly. It's like, oh, it guys, is. we got to we got to do, do another. We got to do another six. We got to do another eight. He found something else to destroy. Yep. He's he's channeling his inner Pete, and it is a sight to behold. Uh, I think that's more of a Keith Moon influence. You would think so. A little bit of Keith. Yeah, because right, knocking down uh, the the bass drum or something Mm -hmm. like that. If you were lucky enough to get one of those souvenirs, consider yourself uh, consider yourself uh, fortunate. That's got to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at this point. You would think. Maybe the cow is. Okay, that's true. The, The cow on the side of the amp is. That wasn't, um, you remember that, that Tampa episode that we did? Mm-hmm. When we talked about the cow? Yeah, that, ca- that cow wasn't the real cow. Oh. That was just a cow. Yeah, the, a, a replica cow. Right. Uh, un- no, it definitely wasn't the real cow because they weren't in the, ho- in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the time. But that cow was plastic while the cow that lived on their amp was a stuffed cow. Who? Hard-hitting journalism. Good job. Uh, well, you know, you can you can thank Matt for that one because he was <laughs> he was being the nitpicky one when I posted the picture, and he was saying, you know, some asshole is gonna call you out and say, "Oh, that's not the real cow." I'm like, yeah, but it's a good story, so it's fine. Let's just live with it. Yeah. So, uh, so they leave and they come back out. Uh, it's one more song and and ending the night. Uh, they mentioned Bad Religion, how important it was for them to be on this tour uh, as they aborted it. The the Sponsored by No One tour. Yep. And uh, Otis Rush as well. And he says that they named Rush Street after Otis Rush, which I don't think is true. But um, All you Chicagoans will have to get back to us. Yeah, I don't really know much about Otis Rush besides he's kind of a bluesy guy. But, um, you know, that's... that's Evidently people were into it. I, I mean, you know, you read a thing, people were like crowd was going crazy for him so good good job then i would have been all into a 17 song bad religion set oh yeah yeah that's what i looked into and boy that's uh that is a 1995 bad religion set if i've ever seen one before (laughs) it's fantastic open with uh 21st century digital boy into generator into uh you know we're only gonna die fuck armageddon uh all their fucking amazing songs so uh, this is the end. It's lead better and it's slow and bluesy with misplaced lyrics all over the place. And lead better at this point is still finding a home at the end of the set. While it had only been played 22 times, it's only the ninth time utilized as a closer. So it's not in the same realm of expectancy as it is nowadays where you sort of go to a show and you're like, all right, well, waiting for the Leadbetter moment. Is it a Leadbetter night? Is it an indifference night? Um, you know, things back then didn't necessarily have to end on that, uh, you know, 
on that low point, on that slow point, it could end with Rocket Man the Free World, Baba, Sonic Reducer, uh, you know, all sorts of, or Porch, mm-hmm. or Leash. Porch, definitely. All different things to end on end the show with. So at this point, I think this is probably the first one where people are saying where we can expect Ledbetter to close out our night. Yeah. Right. This was, yeah, this was definitely the beginning of them realizing that it was, it was it was going to become that celebration of the show, that way for everyone to kind of say goodbye, and and you know give everyone the the crowd pleasing moment at the end where where Mike takes over and uh, and makes the song his own. And it's been popularized at this point. I think this is a radio song at least a year ahead of time, right? It did, yeah. It did start to get picked up on on some radio stations, definitely. So people definitely knew it. I know the first time they ever played Ledbetter, people in the crowd were chanting for Ledbetter, and that's what got them to play it. Mesa, Arizona, 1993. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, it's sort of, it's one of those things. I think this was one of their very early insider songs. You You own a boot from an early show. You kind of see that Ledbetter's on there. You know that... You know, Ledbetter is part of a, a B side for a live. Right. I think that was you know, back then. You you went crazy for every little Pearl Jam thing. So if if there was a if there was a B side of a song, like yeah, you went to Media Play and you spent twelve bucks on the single and to get the one song, right? Right. We couldn't get enough new Pearl Jam songs. If if, if there was a new Pearl Jam song, yeah, you did whatever you could to try to get it. So that's 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 the end of the set. Uh, I think we made pretty good time with this. Um, top three moments for you in no particular order. You can go from three to one if you want. All right. Um, let's go. My, my number three is going to be Daughter, the This Boy tag. I, I love that, that they would go back to pick that song that was written about him to throw in there. Um, my number two is Everyday People. Love that they just said fuck it and let's do this one one time one time only, have fun with it. You know I've, they have a reputation as being such a serious band and being brooding and all that. To throw something fun in there like that, I really think shows a different side of them. And I said before, my number one moment, Corduroy, definitely one of the best versions ever for me. And it's good we have a, a completely different top three. So I like that. We're there's so many. And I think it just depends on who you are and what you like and, and you know, what pops out at you. And I think that, um, you know, your yours are unique to you and mine are unique to me. And um, I think, you know, a lot of other people might have completely different top threes, maybe even songs that we didn't really cover today. We, we didn't talk about, you know, Deep or Glorified G a lot. Um, but even even flow, we didn't even mention even flow, really. We just kind of glossed over it, yeah. and it yeah. was a good moment. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My uh, my top three from three to one is the not for you Ticketmaster sucks moment. Um, uh, just because it, it 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 is a sign of the times. If you're going back in the time capsule, oh, I definitely had I definitely had the ticket bastard T-shirt yeah. that I wore with pride. Yep, and you know it's just it's great that the crowd was on their side and kind of understood everything that was going on in their fight and, and, and sticking up for their cause. So I really loved that about, you know, not for you and just the intensity coming from not for you. Uh, number two was blood because 
how can you not? They're destroying everything in sight. The stage was uh, was meant to be wrecked, and uh, you know they'd have to polish polish up for uh, for preseason games in about a month from that time because uh, they definitely tore tore a hole through their field uh, with blood. Uh, and then number one was let my love open the door, just because it just it, ah, it sounded so full. It's so fitting of that time. It's such a perfect cover to do in that time. And it just, every time I hear it, I get, I get goosebumps and I, you know, it's just, uh, it was, it was another magical moment. Awesome moment from this night, but really you can pick almost any three and you won't be wrong. My, my three were definitely better, but your three were pretty good. (laughs) Says, says you that picked your three. (laughs) Against me, that picked mine. Send your emails uh, which one of our three was better. Hey, yeah, that could be a little contest. Yeah. Week in, week out. See who rated better. Who knows? Uh, all right, rate the show. What do you got? Whew, uh, nine and a half. Nine and a half? Nine and a half. I got a nine. I wanted, give me one more no code song and it would have been a ten. Ooh. What do you have? What else? No code has has debuted live at that point. I don't think anything, right? Well, what better time? Give me give me a red mosquito. That's a fair point. Give me uh yeah, you know, not nine and a half. All right, I'm I'm into that because I gave it. A, I'm giving it a nine. Uh, I respect its impact on history. I think it probably would have teetered into nine and a half had I liked Porch a little more, but... Ooh, um, brutal, brutal. I, I, You know, I, Porch is one of those songs. I think you need it to be, you know, I think you need it to be explosive. And Go, you, Okay, you have homework. Go listen to Porch three or four more times this week. Come back next week and tell me what you thought. And we'll re-rate next week. What, of this version of Porch? Yeah. I I don't have to do any homework. I know, I know that I'm not crazy about it. <laughs> Uh, but I, I don't even think that that that's enough of a determining factor. I think this is a real solid nine. I, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the best shows from this era. It's one of the best shows from the nineties. I don't give out a lot of tens. So, Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's a, it's a top 10, top 15 show in their history for sure. Even today, there are websites out there that have top 10 Pearl Jam shows of mm-hmm. all time. And this is number one. Yep. So, yeah, for me to, it, for it me to give it a you, nine and you to give it a nine and a half for yeah. people that would probably be like, what, what are you guys smoking? But, yeah. Well, you almost, it makes you wish, man, we, we, couldn't they have done more shows in 95, more shows in 96, more shows in 97? Because they were on such a peak right. musically that we, we didn't get, we, like, we didn't get a, a full world tour in 96, full world tour in 97. You know, you almost wish you could go back and, and you know, make the Ticketmaster thing in differently. One way or the other, just come to some sort of earlier resolution so that we could have gotten more of these type shows back then. Sure. I mean, we could have gotten MSG shows in 96. Right, right. Instead of Randall's Island shows. But even right. even so, just getting the Randall's Island show being the, you know, the only place in the New York area that they can really play, uh, everybody that I've talked to that have been in their shows. It, it's usually their first show. It's, it's a legendary mm. show. So, oh, yeah. you know, to have that as part of their history, I think is, is a really positive thing. And, you know, who knows if we don't have, if we have MSG shows in 96, maybe we don't have a campaign for breath in 98. Who knows? Right. So, 
that was that was that. Um, how did you think of the re-debut and your first uh, hosting gig here? I thought it was great. This is, I mean, you picked a great show to start to come back with. This is an epic show, and it, and you know we we did kind of gloss over some things, but I highly recommend if you if you have the vinyl, break it out, put it on, listen to it. If you if you have a couple hours, you know it's YouTube. Put yeah. it put on the YouTube and go for it. You know, it's it's. It's definitely highly re-listenable over and over again. It's a great show. All Absolutely. I mean, most of the stuff stands the test of time anyway, but this is just, it, it, it is, it is as, as good as you would expect it to be. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, I, I am not going to give up any secrets here. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any idea what we're going to do next week or how we're going to do it. This was recorded a, a little bit before. It's going to be Randy Palooza. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I know exactly where the tape is. It's not in my hands, but I'm next time I go home, I will grab that tape and I make sure I have. Oh, Hey, you're, you're coming to Atlanta. So uh, we, we, will, we will make the VCR. I do. It's hooked, up, right. to, hooked up to this computer. We can make it happen. We'll have to see that if that leaves its its quarantined state. But um, anyway, that's that's a wrap on this one. Um, Again, don't know what we're going to do next week, but we'll be back with something. Um, I hope you enjoyed the new format. If you did, uh, let us know. Live on Four Legs Podcast at gmail.com. Look, if you have any stories from Soldier Field that you didn't get to us, we can we can talk about it in the next episode. Just write us an email. Just let us know. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Uh, anything. We'll uh, we'll get it in the next show. Uh, also, there's Patreon. We're going to be starting to do more stuff on Patreon since we have uh, the four host uh, platform that we're doing now and sort of this whole relaunch thing. Uh, we'll you know, we'll have time for more stuff. So, uh, I think we're, we've talked about the evolution, the song evolution thing a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, that might, that might be uh, a straight to Patreon, straight to DVD affair. So, uh, for those of you that haven't subscribed, head on to patreon.com right now, slash live on four legs, subscribe. There are two episodes in full there that you'll get the VH1 storytellers and the new year's Eve. Uh, we promised, Long, long time ago, we promised we'd do one a month, and we failed on that promise. But as good of politicians that we are, we are going to make better on our promise and and get voted for another term. We promise. Yeah. Maybe I'll I'll do a Patreon episode where I go back and do commentary on one of your older episodes and argue with Matt the whole time. <laughs> I I'm a fan. I'm in. Do it. Go for it. All right, uh, this may be the end. We're back, and we're here for as long as we can be. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always for the new system. I missed your singing voice. You missed my singing voice? I did. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that because I think I have a horrible singing voice. It's... it's it's not, not your, it's not your best quality, but I did miss it. <laughs> well, at least I have hair. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, Ooh, hey, shots hey, fired. Hey. Yeah, seriously. Uh, do you have a, a sign-off? Uh, no. I'm just, I'm just ha- I'm, at, at this point, I'm happy to be here.
Thanks a All lot. Right. Thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll think of something as we go yeah, along. So. I'll come up with something. We'll it's, see. We'll it's, s- it's only Teenage Wasteland? Yeah, I, I yeah. think we can yeah. work off yeah. of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a work in we'll, progress. We'll see, yeah. But uh, even if it's not John, if it's if it's not me, if it's somebody else, uh, I don't know. It'll probably be, be me, uh, you know. But we'll see who I'm with. And you'll see next week. It'll be a big surprise, just like this one was. We'll see you then. See ya. Okay. Bye.